could rearrange things this morning, which I'm not going to do, but if I could, I would close the service with the same song you sang at the beginning, the Sanctus. I mean, that was a holy moment. It just was. What a wonderful way to come into the presence of God this morning. We thank you for that. And a question, who's the young guy that led the opening part of the service? <laughs> it's good to see Dave again. Good to be with him on a Sunday morning as uh, we did for so many years together at Elmhurst Church. And it's good to be with you. I wish you God's blessing on this fine Sunday. Don't we thank God for sunshine on a Sunday morning? What a wonderful way to wake up and come into the world. And uh, wherever you are, whatever the circumstances of your life, my hope and prayer is that you can taste the goodness of God for just a few moments this morning as we celebrate his grace and his presence in our worship service. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father God, if there's anything in me that gets in the way of your word, your will, your way, please take it from me. If there's anything in the hearts of all those of us worshiping that would keep us from seeing you as you are, praising you for what you do, knowing you more deeply than we do now, Please, oh God, take that also so that our hearts will be open to you, open to your word, open to your spirit, and open to your will for us. Lead us into mysterious and wonderful places this morning, we ask in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. I want you to know that I think this morning's sermon is a little bit like uh, wading into unknown waters. You know, the kind of lake where you take a first step in and the water's up to your foot and then your ankle, then your knee, then your waist, then your chest, and finally you are fully immersed in the scriptures. Celia and I, uh, my wife and I have a place in Michigan. We spend a lot of weekends during the summer. It's now closed. We're back here and love it as here as well. But when we're in Michigan, we often swim at a particular beach where you wade into the water rather shallow and in a somewhat um, safe manner. You feel like it's not going to be too dangerous to get out there. But then suddenly you're in about up to your waist and you take a step and there isn't anything beneath your foot because you are at a drop off. And I'm suggesting that the word of God this morning is going to be like wading into the grace and the goodness and the love of God and then suddenly we're going to come to a drop off. And we will be in over our heads. And I will tell you that I think there are moments when you hear this and perhaps even moments when I'm speaking and we'll feel like we are lost. I mean, we don't know where we're going next. And we don't know how it is that God will bring us to a better place. So let's get our toes wet and step into the word of God. And I want to do this by first having a word for the children, um, those kids who are still with us. But if you are an 11 years old this morning, do we have any 11-year-olds? I want you to listen really carefully to this because one of the most honest and transforming critiques of a sermon I gave about a dozen years ago as a guest pastor in another church came from an 11-year-old girl who came up to me after the service and she simply said, she said it without bitterness and without an attitude, she just said to me, that wasn't very interesting. And uh, she's right, that was not very interesting. And I own that. I think it is the um, responsibility of a preacher to at least be interesting, uh, interested in God, interested in the people, interested in the truth. 
So 11-year-olds, here it is for you, right? I'm going to give you a sermon. doesn't even have words. I just want you to remember this. Are you, are you watching? All right, here we go. Kara Hackert, staff member at Elmhurst Church next door, preached this sermon to our kids. Watch. Here it is, kids. God is bringing everything together for you. Get that? Don't have to say it. Just have to see it. God is bringing everything together for you. That's Ephesians 3, verse 10. And we're going to get in that together as we wade into the Word of God. Um, Let's hear God's Word from Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 10. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly places, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what could those blessings be? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, I love this next, this, my Calvinistic heart beats faster. In love, he predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in Jesus Christ, the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. Get this. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, the mystery of his will, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So let's wade in together before we get in over our heads. Begins with a simple statement, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the way we entered worship this morning as the ladies brought us into God's presence. What happens to you when you praise God? How do you express that? What do you do with that? I watched quite a bit of football yesterday. Some of it good, some of it bad. But a lot of it had the same thing in common. When something good happened from the sidelines, from the coach to every player, they all did the same thing. They threw their hands up in the air. 
Well, what is that? What's going on? Well, something so deep in the soul of an athlete stirs them so that they have to react physically. So it is, I think, with praise. How do you express praise before God? We do it differently. Some of us raise our hands. Some of us sing. Some of us just let a tear trickle down our cheek. John uh, Robertson, one of the John, that's not his last name, and I'm not going to think of it. It is my age. Sorry about that. But he is a professor at Calvin Seminary. John says that when people like us, and he's talking about Dutch Christian Reformed people, when people like us hear something that really moves us, that really moves our souls, we don't usually raise our hands and we don't often say amen and verbally express ourselves. He said, but if you watch it carefully, when they are moved, you will see this. It's the sudden tilt of the head that says something struck my soul and I am moved. And in that simple movement for many of us, in whatever way it is, we say what Paul is saying as he thinks of the grace of Almighty God in our own way. We are saying praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now what are those spiritual blessings? Well, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Wrap your mind around that. Before God said, let there be light, he said, you belong to me, Isaiah 43. I've called you by name, you are mine. How can it be that before any of this came into being, God said, you are mine. He called me to be something better than I am. He called me to be holy and blameless in his sight, to be transformed into something that would be stand before him as his child. And, and the fact, of course, is that being holy and blameless isn't only our goal, it's also our gift because that's what we are in Jesus. And yet that is what we seek to become in Jesus, right? It is what we are, but it is what we want to be. Thanks be to God. Not only did he choose us, but and now these words, right? In love he predestined us. In love God predestined us for adoption. We are all adopted children, every one of us. Not because we chose God as Father, but because God the Father out of the entire human race chose his children in Jesus to be his own. We are adopted children. I preached on this a number of years ago, many, many years ago. And at the end of the sermon, we had prepared on parchment sheets certificates of adoption that were stamped with a date and with a name and you simply filled your name in that said as of this date I declare that by the grace of God I am an adopted child of God Almighty. All of us have an adoption certificate sealed in the heavens by the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us God's adopted children in love. He predestined us for that. And further, Paul says, as we wade in even more deeply into the grace of God, he says that we have been set free. We are no longer ransomed. We are freed. As an adopted child, we are redeemed. 
That's a pretty significant word in our day and our age. We have hostages being held by Hamas in the Middle East. We don't know what it would take to free them. We thank God for those who have been freed in the last days. But what price will it be to have men and women and children who are being held captive against their will to be freed? We pray for them. We ask that God be merciful to them. But all of us who are sinners understand that we are in a similar position before Almighty God. We are held hostage by our own sins, and we need freedom. And there is no freedom other than through the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid that price so that we can be freed. And not only free, but Paul says, as we move in deeper into the grace of God, we are forgiven so that it's not the people who held us hostage that are forgiven. We are forgiven because we hold ourselves hostage through our own sin, through our own failings, through our own weakness, through our own failure to be holy and blameless in the sight of God. And the only way to be freed of that is through the blood of Jesus. And when we are freed, we are truly freed. No longer is the consequence of being held captive our own. We are free. Thanks be to God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, if that were not enough, having gone into the depths of God's grace If that were not enough, we come to the edge of something that to me is mysterious and profoundly moving. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Really? We know the mystery? We understand what God is up to? We get what this is all about? To bring all things together in Christ. The mystery of God's will is to bring everything together in Christ, who is the head. When we add a column of numbers, we begin at the top and then at the bottom, and then at the bottom we put our sum. But in the Greek world, when they added a column of numbers, they would add from bottom to top, and at the top they would put the sum. And Paul is saying, when we add everything up at the top, stands Jesus. He is the sum of everything. When it is all added up, it is Jesus Christ himself. An amazing truth. That is the mystery. Jesus, the head who brings everything together. Which leads to the question, why does God think things need to be brought together? What is it that's being brought together? What does that mean? For the answer, I think we need only to look at Paul's world and then our own world. The world that Paul was writing to was a world characterized by fission. And I'm going to contrast fission and fusion. Not nuclear, but spiritual. But there are some things to be learned from the physical world that should be applied to the spiritual world. Paul understood fission, the splitting apart, the breaking, the fracturing of communities, the splitting apart, the breaking, the fracturing of individual souls. Earlier this morning, I spoke to a father 
who has lost his son and his heart is broken. He is feeling the fissure, the splitting, the breaking of the loss of a child, and he wants a restoration in a relationship, but he's not quite sure how that's going to happen. Paul knew that those kinds of fissures, those kinds of fission, happens throughout this world, and it is a reflection of what happens in nuclear fission when atoms are directed at each other in such a way that the collision produces a splitting. And if you split the atom over and over and over again, you have an atomic bomb. And some of us are living in worlds in which there is so much splitting and fracturing and brokenness that we are living in, in, in an entire atmosphere of dysfunction and brokenness and pain and horror. That was Paul's world like it is our world. And if you don't understand that, you need to read further on in the book of Ephesians when Paul begins to talk about the terrible things that happen when we fracture with each other or within ourselves. He talks about what happens when we lie to each other as a spiritual community. If there's ever a word for our world today, it is this. We need truth and a common understanding and agreement on what truth is and how truth can transform lives. Paul said, don't lie to each other. It tears you apart. It breaks families. It breaks lives. It breaks communities. It breaks nations. It breaks our world. He talks about temper. He talks about what happens when anger runs its course and splits communities, splits families, when anger consumes a soul. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. He said, don't let a day pass before you have processed the stuff that is tearing your soul apart. He talks about bad language. Paul knew that there were couples in toxic relationships and the next word from the wife to the husband to the husband to the wife would be the one that would push them over the end. They know how to push each other's buttons in just such a way that the whole fractured process continues and grows greater. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't go there. Paul understood that there is so much in life that leaves us broken and wounded and bleeding. It's, it's like... The power of the atomic bomb that destroys communities and lives split over and over and over again. If you saw the movie Oppenheimer recently, maybe you left the theater like I do with a dark and heavy spirit, not only because of the nuclear threat that lies over our world and has for the last 75 years, but because of the atomic forces within, within us that threaten to blow apart everything we hold dear. Now, I don't think for a moment that Paul knew anything about atomic power or atomic fission. I only know that he knew there were powerful forces that push us apart, that threaten us over and over and over again. And in the face of all the explosions that push people apart, Paul says, I know a mystery. There is a greater force that brings us together. There is a fusion, a spiritual fusion. It is reminiscent of something that has happened in our world. On December 2, 2022, at a laboratory in Livermore, California, 
in a controlled experiment, 172 lasers bombarded atoms in such a way that they did not split, but they fused. They stuck together. They combined. And combined in such a way that more energy was produced by the combination of the atoms than was required to combine them. That is nuclear fusion. When that power of bringing together in an atomic scale promises an endless supply of energy without all of the problems of control or the problems of contamination or the problems of radiation that fusion carries with it, but promises energy that can transform life. And it is possible that the 11-year-olds in this congregation will live to see a day when fusion powers the world in a profound and wonderful way. Hope and pray it might be so. Well, Paul didn't understand that in the physical world, but he certainly knew it in the spiritual world. He knew that there is a power in coming together that is greater than the power of blowing apart. So the question is, which direction do we want to go in our lives, in our nation, in our church, in my spirit, fission or fusion? Do I want to see it blown apart? Or do I want to see it come together? Well, where is God at work in this world? What is God doing? Let me bring you back to the beginning of, uh, of, of this book, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It talks about uh, a, a universe that is empty and formless and void. It is dark. And what are the first words that God speaks? What does he say? Let there be light. Well, what is Light. Light is the fusion of atomic particles in such a way that energy and light is produced. What I'm suggesting is that at the very dawn of history, there is an act by which light is produced in a coming together, a coming together of what only God can create and God can provide. And it is not a wonder to me, then, that Jesus is described as the light of the world. He's the only one that God can provide, who God has brought into our world in such a way that he is both human and divine combined in this marvelous, miraculous combination. And he is a light of the world. And it's not a wonder, then, is it, that he who is the light of the world says to you and to me, you are the light of the world, and you can't put light on a stand and cover it. You've got to uncover the light so it gives light to everybody around you. I mean, read the word of God. Where is the power of God? It is in the bringing together of all that only God can provide for the good of his people, for the creation, the redemption, the freeing of his people. Only God can bring together what is so profoundly broken in this world in such a way that there is light and there is good and there is right. Now, when and where is this going to happen? When are we going to see everything added up, Jesus at the head, and it all fits together? 
Paul says it will come at the end of the ages and the time that is set by God. We understand that to be the day when Jesus returns in the clouds of heaven. Every eye sees him, every ear hears him, and every knee bows before almighty Jesus Christ who stands as the head of all things. And at that moment, it all fits together. It all makes sense. It all comes together perfectly. But I do not for one second believe that what is to come at the end of the ages only comes at the end of the ages. I believe and profoundly understand it to be this, the, the uh, truth of God's word that what will happen in completion and fulfillment at the end of the ages is happening here and now over and over and over again. And what we need to do is to open our eyes to the remarkable spiritual fission created by Almighty God in which what is so broken is brought together and whole and as a glimpse of the glory that is to come. So let me share just a glimpse of that with you. If you're looking for broken places in this world, you would need look no further than the Mississippi State Penitentiary in Parchman, Mississippi. Those of you who have cable television and watch the A&E channel might have seen a two-hour documentary that was uh, viewed. And if you haven't seen it, I re recommend it to you. It's kind of hard watching. It's not for every age group, and I wouldn't recommend that. But if you want to see something uh, miraculous happen, you watch that documentary. Um, it's a story of Parchman, Mississippi, in which at the state penitentiary in 2020, five inmates were murdered in, a, in just a rampage of violence that swept through that prison because it was controlled by two rival gangs. Controlled to such an extent, mind you, that the, the, the administration the security would not enter the prison because the inmates had taken over the institution. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible mess. Shortly after that happened, Burl Kane, who was a former warden of the Angola State Penitentiary in Angola, Louisiana, was appointed the director of corrections for the state of Mississippi, and he decided something needed to change in Parchman, Mississippi. And so Burl Kane hired a gentleman by the name of Mark McClure. Mark McClure had no previous prison experience. He was a Mississippi state policeman. He had a background in law enforcement, but not in incarceration. McClure moved to Parchment. He lives in the prison. My wife and I were at his home twice in the last year in the middle of that prison. Mark understands the power of Jesus Christ. He is an avowed advocate of the power of Jesus in human life. He knows what Jesus has done for him, and he believes that what Jesus has done for him, he can also do for an institution like Parchman that was ready to be closed by the federal government because of the level of violence. He is a testimony to the power of Jesus in bringing things together in such a way that two years later, violence has been reduced by 50% at Parchment. There is an active 
chaplain, corps, all of the chaplains are those who were released from prison in, Missis in Louisiana and hired by the state of Mississippi to be chaplains in their prison. These are redeemed men. Most of them had served time for first-degree murder who are now freed, who are chaplains at Parchman, and who are turning that institution around. And Mark McClure is himself an instance of what only God can do when all of these forces are brought together. Let me tell you why. Mark understands victims, he understands criminals, and he understands transformation. He understands victims because Mark McClure's brother was murdered. He comes from a family torn apart by murder. He understands criminals because Mark McClure's father was the one who murdered his brother. Do you understand that? And he understands transformation because Mark McClure is a redeemed, forgiven sinner by the power of Jesus Christ who believes that out of all of that brokenness, something good can be forged that will transform an institution and change lives and make parchment a better place and much of it a better place because Jesus Christ is acknowledged in ways he has never been acknowledged in that prison before. If you do not believe in the power of spiritual fission, God bringing things together in a remarkable way, you need to learn more about Parchman, Mississippi, and Mark McClure. Well, now that's, you know, half a world away, right? Half a world away. Sooner or later, you've got to come to us. So what is it in my life? What is it in me that needs being brought together? And what is it in my world? Look at the world we're living in, people. I mean, the Middle East, Afghanistan, the Taliban, women living under an oppression that we could not tolerate. Look at the, the preposterous political infighting and wrangling that paralyzes our nation. How long do we have to talk about the tensions of trade with China, the rise of militarism in North Korea? What, what, how much damage do we need to see about the hurricanes that batter the world or wildfires raging to the north and in the west? How, how long do we have to talk about church declining attendance and the lack of spirituality in this generation? I mean, how much bad news do we have to hear before we would agree that there is fission in this world? And how deeply do I have to look in myself before I am willing to admit that there is a brokenness and a profound brokenness in me as well? That it's not everybody else's problem, that part of it is I am a problem. Fusion. Where is God at work in bringing all things together in Christ? We need to look at it together and we need to find it in ourselves. Would you just look, you know, uh, 10 miles or so east down Roosevelt Road? And just north of Roosevelt Road, you come to that site where the Glidden Paint Company uh, 40 years ago closed the plant and left 10 acres of toxic waste. And that site uh, stood vacant for decades in a neighborhood that just declined over and over again until a Christian Reformed pastor, don't you just love this? I mean, I do. Christian Reformed pastor Johnny Zayas 
believed that God could do something better with that site and that property, and over the last five years has pulled together two dozen organizations and raised $31 million and transformed that site into the Revive Center, a demonstration of what spiritual vision can accomplish when the people of God motivated by the love of God, claimed by the name of God, redeemed by the power of God, when that people say, we can do better, and we will do better, and God wants to do better, not only to make me holy and blameless, but to create a better world in the name of Jesus Christ so that the name of Jesus stands at the top of the Revive Center just down the road. And if you don't know about it, check it out. Check it out. It is a glorious story of vision, spiritual coming together in our day. That, to me, is the message that we need to hear this morning. That there is a power greater than everything that blows us apart, a power that brings us together under the name of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And that's why I said to the ladies, and I believe it would have been perfect if we could have ended with them standing here singing. Because deep in my soul, when I hear this and when I think about this and when I get way in over my head about fission and fusion and what that might mean in this world, in me, in the physical world, when I get way over my head, I simply want to say, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in the name of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, what only you can do, what only you need to do, I pray that the brokenness in our lives, the brokenness in our hearts and spirits will be ministered to by the power of Jesus Christ, that if there's anything that separates me from others, that is my sin, my failing, or in them, that you will remove that and bring us together. In our broken world, in political systems, our nations, between the nations, in Israel, oh God, so many broken places. We ask that the name of Jesus would be exalted, and we pray that that day will quickly come when we see our Savior standing on the clouds of heaven, when everything adds up perfectly, and it is all brought together in his name. May that day come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.